We've been in this series called Blueprint. Going back to just some of the basics, the essentials that Hebrews 6 tells us. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And so what are these elementary principles, these beginning principles, this blueprint? He says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We've talked about that. And faith toward God. We've talked about that. We're moving on to number three today. And the doctrine of of baptisms. Of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We're going to focus on the doctrine of baptisms today. It's a teaching. John 3 is where we're going to start today. John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we give away Bibles all the time. You can grab one. They're free out there on the table. If you're new here, you can text Rev Omaha to 94,000. You can fill out that little info sheet. You can take that out there. We've got a gift for you today at the connection table. But we, uh, we love God's word. It's living and active. It speaks to us. And he's got a word for each and every one of us today. I believe that. I know every time we open up the word, it is fresh and new again. So here we go, John chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. He was a Pharisee. He he was one of these religious teachers. And he says this in the very beginning. He says, we all know God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Many of the Pharisees, the ones that attacked Jesus the hardest, that came after him, that tried to discredit him, that, that wanted him, his teaching and his ministry to be ended, even they knew. I, I believe like what he's saying here, he's hanging out with other Pharisees. He's, he's hanging out with other religious teachers. They knew who he was. They knew that they couldn't deny the signs and the evidence of who he was, but they still fought against him. There's going to be those that see the power of the Holy Spirit living and working within you, and they can't deny it, but they will still fight against it. That's what the religious spirit does. They're going to see the fruit of the Spirit living in you. They're going to see it active. They're going to see the change and the transformation on your life. And you're going to know it because you can taste the goodness. When you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you can taste it. You can see, my life is not the same anymore. I've got more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control than I've ever experienced in my life. And you're going to know that others can see it, and they can see the fruit on you, but they're still going to deny it. Because accepting it means that there's something that they're missing. And when you're religious, you don't want to admit that you don't have it all together, that you don't have all the answers, that you haven't come to a place of perfection, of completion. And so if that's you right now, there's a religious spirit that works and that wants a hold of us. And so if that's you right now, you need to be aware that's a religious spirit speaking to you. If you're resistant to what God wants to do in your life, if you're resistant to the changes you're seeing in others, the transformation, the fruit of the Spirit working out of somebody's life, there's a religious spirit that is speaking to you and they're trying to deceive you. 
The religious spirit, it speaks from a place of fear and intimidation, a place of control and manipulation. Don't listen to that spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a religious spirit. The religious spirit longs and desires to quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. I wasn't going to go here, but I need to go here. Second Timothy. I'll come back to John. Some of you are like, I just finally found John. I'm sorry. We'll come back. All right. Flip, flip a little bit there. Second Timothy chapter 3. This is something God keeps bringing me back to often lately. And it has to do with the religious spirit. And we need to talk about it. Second Timothy chapter 3. You should know this. Timothy, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, a young preacher. The old, the wise veteran Paul speaking to the young, up-and-coming preacher, Timothy, the leader in the church. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. We're in the last days. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We just know ever since he left the second time, we're in the last days. This is now. This is for us, just like it was for Timothy back then. We can see it all around us. For people will love only themselves and their money. Money is not bad, but the love of money, that, that is evil, okay? So when you begin to love yourself and your money over everything else, over everything God is calling you to in your life, that is what is evil. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. The religious people, they don't realize they're scoffing at God, but that's what they're doing. They are scoffing at God. They are quenching the Holy Spirit when they scoff. They're disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. It's a sign of a, a religious leader, a Pharisee. Ungrateful, that's for somebody in here right now. Somebody in here right now, God has given you everything and more, and yet all you can see is everything you don't have. That's for somebody right there. Thankfulness. You fight on gratefulness with thankfulness. You sit in his presence, and you thank him, and you begin to list out every blessing he's poured out in your life, and all of a sudden that kills on gratefulness. And when you kill on gratefulness, what are you doing? You're killing the religious spirit, and you're beginning to listen to the Holy Spirit again. Sit down. This is what, we do this with our kids a lot. When we start to, we can tell there's a lot of ungratefulness growing. There's a lot of, you know, oh man, they got this and they're doing this. and they, We just sit them down and we begin to walk them through everything that God has done. Every night when we close out dinner or when we do our nighttime prayers, we begin to list all the blessings that God has poured out on our lives and their lives. And we begin to thank him and we become grateful and it kills the religious spirit within us. Just list it out. Practice thankfulness. They will consider nothing sacred. When we step into this moment, this is holy ground. When we praise him, when we worship him, when we open his word, that's why you've noticed sometimes in the beginning you know, when we're reading scripture, I'll, I'll have us stay standing. I, I want us to realize this is a holy moment when we open God's word. This is sacred ground. The religious spirit considers nothing sacred. 
They scoff and mock. And so there's something I also want to warn you about here. There's some of you guys, there's Christian comedians or Christian satire out there, and you're kind of like, oh, it's funny, and, you know, it's just innocent. And Okay. I mean, I'm with you. Like, there's stuff that I'll watch or see from some of these Christian comedians or whatever, satire, kind of making fun of, you know, things that we do in the church or things that Christians do. But we have to be careful with that even. Because if we begin to scoff at what God says is sacred, we begin to get numb to the Holy Spirit. It it begins to sear our conscience. And so then what do we do? We begin to take a critical heart into every place we walk into when it should be a place that is sacred and holy because where two or more are gathered, he is there. And so when we come here today, we don't come in with a critical spirit. We don't come in with a scoffing heart. We come in open and ready to receive what he has for us and to give him our very best. That's why we give him our hands. That's why we drop to our knees. That's why we fall on our face and we worship him because we understand that he is holy. And that's why we gather to worship him for who he is, for his faithfulness. We need to be careful with the content we consume. If you begin to notice that you're jaded and that you're critical, and that when you step into church, the first thing you see is everything that's wrong, or the first thing you see is everything like, oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. Or, oh, they're putting up their hands. They just want attention. No, no, no. I, I lived that way for a long time. I didn't know it, but I, this whole chapter 3, this was me for a long time in ministry. I would walk into places of worship, and I would look around, and I would think, that guy looks weird. That guy's strange. That guy's, you know, just wants attention. And I would scoff and mock because I had this religious spirit about me that said, the way I worship is better than the way anybody else worships. I worship pure and genuine. That's a religious spirit. I was a Pharisee. I'm repenting for it right now to you. I'm telling you. I remember being at a Christ in Youth Conference, a youth conference, and there was some kid that I knew from Bible college, and I just thought, oh, he's just being ridiculous. Like, he just wants attention. He was jumping up and down, acting crazy during worship. God is checking my heart 20 years later, however long it's been. And he's saying, that was a religious spirit. It was the same spirit that had a hold of Michael, David's wife, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And what was he doing? He was dancing and jumping and he was praising. His hands were in the air. He was acting crazy. And Michael, she, she had this religious spirit about her and she scoffed and she criticized him. She said, you, you look like a fool in front of all these people. And, and David said, I, I want to look even more undignified to praise my king. Check your heart as you're coming into this place today. Check your heart as you're coming into Tuesday nights. If you haven't been to prayer, check your heart as you come into Tuesday night prayer with us. We meet right over here, 6.30 p.m. on Tuesdays, and it's a time of prayer. It's a time to listen. It's a time to worship. It's right over here in the same area that we do the kids' ministry on Tuesday nights. But check your heart. If you're coming in and you're criticizing and you're just, you're scoffing, Realize that comes from a religious spirit, not the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget 
when I had first transitioned out of my last ministry job and we were in between trying to figure out what God wanted us to do next. I'll never forget my wife and I, for the first time in a while, we took our kids to some other churches. And each time after we got out of church, we'd get in our car and the kids would be in back and we'd be driving off to go get lunch or, you know, do whatever. And it was one of the first times we were going around checking out other churches because we'd been in one church for 13 years. And we hadn't really gone to a lot of other churches. When we had a vacation weekend, we just kind of, we took the weekend off. And we didn't do anything. And so we were going around to these other churches and we'd get in the car and then instantly we would resort to this, they could have done this better. They could have done that better. This wasn't good. This wasn't good. We would have done this this way. And it was this, this critical spirit. And finally, I think after the second or third church we visited, I, I just stopped us and I said, what, what are we doing? This is, God, this is God's bride. This, this is the bride of Christ. This is his church. And there's different expressions all throughout, but no matter what you say or do, it's still the bride. There's a line between this religious spirit and the Holy Spirit that we have to begin to learn how to discern and to walk in wisdom. They will be on loving Verse 3, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be unloving and unforgiving. If you still got something in your heart and you've even justified it and said, even God doesn't love them. Even God wants nothing to do with them. Even God is angry at them. And you can't forgive and you're holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment. That, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a religious spirit. The religious spirit holds on to bitterness and anger. It is unforgiving. And they will slander others and have no self-control. Thirteen years of my ministry, I, I, I would so often with my closest friends, when we'd get alone we would spend time and we would just talk about this person or that person and just, man, th- this person on staff's ridiculous. I, you know, I can't stand the way they do this or this person over here, I, I can't stand it or, oh my goodness, did you hear that or that? It, it was just like gossip and slander constantly and it, it was a coping mechanism. That's what it was. When, when we gossip and slander others, it's a coping mechanism. Once again, I wish somebody would have told me this a long time ago. Here you go. I'm telling you what I learned recently in my life. We don't feel good about ourselves. We're not fully healed from some of the wounds or the trauma we've experienced. We've got insecurities deep within us about how we look, how we talk, how we dress, about our weight, about our height about our income. We've got these insecurities within us, and these insecurities have followed us from childhood. And they followed us into adulthood. And so now to cope with these insecurities, what do we do? Well, we try to tear others down, and we try to slander others. Because if we take others down, then we feel better about ourselves. And so we find these little groups, and we call them, uh, you know, therapy groups. What what do we call it, really? Uh, We call it, oh, I'm... Venting. I'm just venting. No, no, we're not. We're slandering. 
I just need a vent. No, no, no. That's slander. You need to get healed. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to heal you. Because when you get healed, all of a sudden, you start to see every wound and every hurt within you. Every insecurity you were walking with, the baggage you were carrying through this world, when he begins to heal that and you begin to walk taller, and he takes that yoke off your shoulders and you begin to walk in freedom, then all of a sudden, you're not looking at those other people trying to tear him down. You're looking at those other people and you're saying, oh my gosh, I want them to have the same freedom I have. I want them to feel what I feel. I want them to walk light and free through this world and not have to go through what I've been going through for these last 20, 25 years. That is what the Holy Spirit does within us. A religious spirit seeks to slander and tear down. And so if you have these groups of friends, it might even be your own spouse. My wife and I, we would find ourselves doing that often where it was just like, oh, you know, you tell me about all the, you know, crazy, ridiculous people at your work. I'll tell you about all the crazy. That, that was how we would cope when we get done with our jobs at the end of the day. And we would just kind of vent and unleash about all these people and these people and, oh, they got this drama or this drama. They're way more broken than us. They're way more broken than, than we are because that makes you feel better, right? That's the religious spirit. When you talk about somebody else's brokenness, when you talk about somebody else's sin, you say, oh, that's just too bad. That's too bad they're going through that. It's to make you feel better because you, you feel like what you're dealing with isn't as bad as that. It's all sin. It's all broken. And it's all something that the Father wants to heal. If you have that group, this is just a time for you to repent. And once again, repenting is not a four-letter word. It's just change your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit, change my mind about how I've been dealing with and coping with this. Change my mind. Transform me, Father. I want to be transformed and renewed by your word. Please transform me, Father. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will be cruel and hate what is good. There's good things happening. The religious spirit, they don't want to see that. They want to continue to point out and criticize and tear down and slander. Verse 4, they will betray their friends be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. The religious spirit, typically, they look good on the outside. They look whole. They look like they, they, they know how to play the part. They have that look about them. But because they haven't been healed by the healer, and they haven't dealt with what's broken within them, they're finding ways to cope with that pain. A lot of times, those coping mechanisms, it's loving pleasure rather than God. They seek the pleasure that this world has to offer through alcohol, through sexual pleasure, through drugs, whatever it is, they find a way to cope. And on the outside, they're puffed up with pride 
because they know religiously they look good and they play the part when people are around. But when nobody's around, when nobody can see them, they're seeking the pleasure of this world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. They will act religious, verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The Holy Spirit might be putting somebody on your mind right now, your heart, where they act religious, but they reject the power that could make them godly. They reject it. When people ask us what kind of church is revival, I, I, I always tell them we're a full gospel church. We believe in everything the gospel says. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in signs and wonders and miracles and healings. We've seen it. We've seen him answer. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are a full gospel church. We do not deny the power. We know it to be true. But there's some that will act religious and they'll deny the power. They'll say, the time for that, it it doesn't happen anymore. That's not how God moves. That was just in Acts. That was just in the early church. He doesn't move or work like that anymore. So if that's what you think, I'm just telling you, this is probably not the church for you. But if you're open to it, if you're open to the fact that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are still moving and active today, and there's still power, there's still signs, there's still wonders, that you can be baptized in his presence, if you're open to that, this is the church for you. He wants to reveal himself to you. That's what he's doing in this season. He's revealing himself. The religious spirit, they'll act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Verse 6. I'm still stuck on verse 5. First Thessalonians. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't give you any of these verses. Sorry, man. You know, I'm just, I just get stuck on some of these verses sometimes because there's more. There's more we got to look at. First Thessalonians, verse five or chapter five. First Thessalonians, chapter five. We'll go verse fifteen. Chapter five, verse fifteen. See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful. Once again, ties back to that ungratefulness we were talking about. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 19. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Do you see how that ties right back to what we're talking about in 2 Timothy? 
I mean, those are parallel passages right there. Those are parallel ideas. Those are ideas that he wants us to get stuck in us. He wants those ideas and those truths to get implanted in us, for that seed of God's word to get planted in our hearts. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. And then jump down, verse 19. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be led by him, you can listen to his voice, and you can be led by him. He will not overtake you or overpower you. That is not how he works. Because he is a God that has given us freedom to make decisions. And so we have a freedom and a choice to be led by the Holy Spirit or to resist him, to stifle him, to quench the power and the voice within us. What stifles him? Scoffing. Do not scoff at prophecies. We prophesy here. On Tuesday nights, we prophesy. We speak and declare prophecies over each other. We pray and we prophesy over each other. What are we doing here? We're prophesying over the church. What was Eleni doing during worship? She was prophesying. She was declaring God's word over his church. We prophesy and we do not scoff at prophecies. If you hear something and there's a check in your spirit, don't scoff at it. Test it. That's what he says. Test it. Test and see. Line it up with God's word. This is why we got to get God's word in us. So then the prophecies begin to flow out of us. When you got God's word in you, the prophecy flows out of you. Because guess what? His word will not disagree. The prophecy will not disagree. If it's from the Holy Spirit, it will not disagree with his word. For it is written. That's what Jesus said. When the devil came after him and the devil began to get to hit, try to get him to question what God had said, how did Jesus reply back? He said, for it is written. That's how we prophesy. For it is written. Get God's word in you and it's gonna come out of you. Get it internalized. Get it built down within you. So every time the devil comes after you, you just prophesy back to him. It is written. Here's what it says. I will not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now go back to 2 Timothy 3. Worship team, I'm going to ask you guys, you can get ready to start heading back up here. Verse 6. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes, and they win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. How, how have the false teachers, how have the false prophets worked their way into our homes in this day and age? It's really easy. We, we, carry, we carry them around in our pocket, right? We have a cell phone. They, they can work your way into, their, into our homes very easily. And you can begin to go through Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook, whatever social media app you want, and you'll begin to find lots of teachers out there. And there's some good ones, but then you've got to be able to discern against the bad ones, against the evil ones, against the religious ones. Because they're trying to work their way into our homes, and they're trying to cause division and rebellion within the church. They want to draw people away 
follow after them so they can build their own following and not God's kingdom. There are people typically that have been burned or wounded or hurt, and so they want to draw others to them. I'll tell you, at one time, they probably even believed in the power of God. At one time, they were even believing for a miracle. But when they didn't see it when they wanted it, how they wanted it, they turned their back and they said, no, 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 the power doesn't happen anymore. We, we just need to stay in this nice, safe area, this religious box. And we just need to check off boxes. I just need to get baptized. I just need to go to church a couple times a week. Not a week. They probably go a couple times a month, maybe. We just need to check off these boxes. And they want others to be gathered to them because it makes them feel better. Once again, it's like a a self-help group. They're the kind that work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. In Jewish literature, Jonas and Jambres, they were the... They were Egypt's sorcerers. If you go back and read the Exodus story, when Moses and Aaron came to face off with Pharaoh, Pharaoh brought in his own sorcerers. And so Moses and Aaron, God had them perform these miracles, these plagues, these, these signs and wonders. And Jonathan Jambre said, as a part of Pharaoh's sorcerers, his court, They would try to match these signs and wonders. And there were certain things that they could do. They they did have some level of power, and they did have some level of control over the supernatural, but it paled in comparison to God. These teachers opposed the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. Some people say in these, these non-canonical texts, it's written that Jonathan Jambres actually ended up seeing and understanding that there was more power with Moses and Aaron's God than the gods that they followed. And so some people say in these non-canonical texts that they actually ended up following and going with the Israelites when they left Egypt. And so... It says that they actually went, and they were the ones when Moses and Joshua went up to receive the Ten Commandments from God. In these texts, it's written that Jonathan Jambres were the ones when Moses and Joshua got, were gone for many days, that they were the ones that began to plant the seed of rebellion into Aaron's ear. And they began to say, we, we need to gather the gold and we need to make an idol to worship. And, and in their mind, they were still worshiping God, but they just wanted an idol, an image of him. They wanted to see him. 
They wanted a tangible God that they could control and see, that they could carry with them, that they could make the way they wanted it to look, that they could make it look that way. That's what the religious spirit does. We want to control and manipulate and make religion look the way we want it to look. We want it to fit inside this box. And God does not fit in a box. He doesn't. His presence does not fit within the confines of religion, within the confines of this golden calf that they made. This is what the religious spirit longs to do. It longs for control. It longs for manipulation. They were the ones that were whispering into the ear, opposing the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. What does counterfeit faith look look like? It almost looks like the real thing. The people that work for the treasury, when they're studying to be able to discern between counterfeit money and real money, what do they do? They look at the real thing and they study it over and over and they know it. They know what it feels like, what it it just like, how it bends. Uh, They know the weight of it, everything. They can just tell the real thing. And good counterfeiters, they do the same thing. They try to make it look as close and feel as close and weigh as close to the real thing as it can, but it's not the real thing. Counterfeit faith, counterfeit religion, these religious leaders, they're going to make it look as close as they possibly can, but it denies the power of the living God. They won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Jonas and Jambres. We'll get to the doctrine of baptisms next week. stand up as we get ready to close here. I'm going to have Jake come forward and uh, he's going to share a communion meditation. But before that, I, I just want to pray over our church. If you feel like, would you guys just close your, close your eyes, bow your head. If you feel like you've been struggling with a religious spirit. If you feel like you've been critical and hard-hearted but you want to repent, you want to change your mind, you want to be transformed and renewed by the power of the living God, if you want to be filled with his Holy Spirit today, if you want that today, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at? If you want that today, I just want to pray over you. He sees you. He sees you right now. His hand is on you. His hand is on your shoulder. He's standing right by you. He loves you. He forgives you. Holy Spirit, come in and wash us clean. Break off the religious spirit. Help us to hear your voice right now, loud and clear. Everything that we've been denying, everything that we've been resistant to, I pray, Father, let us be open and filled with your presence in this moment. It says in your word that Jesus comes to baptize in fire. And I pray for fire in the Holy Spirit to fill these hearts right now that they would be filled with your presence, that the religious spirit would be cleared out, that he would be killed, that he would be nailed to the cross. And there's no resurrection for him. 
He is dead and buried. Now we are temples of the Holy Spirit living within us. I pray that for everyone within our church right now. May we receive that fire. May we receive your Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.